You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let me pray, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for um, this season. Thank you so much for Christmas, for the time of year that we get to remember that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to speak the words of life to us, to to walk in front of us, to be the word become flesh, to give his life as a ransom for sinners so that we can become saved and become your children. God, thank you for it. Thank you for coming and being the light in the dark spaces of our lives. And I pray today, Father, that through your word, that you would draw our attention to Christ and that you would help us to love you more with our lives. God, I pray that. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be this morning. Christmas season is here. It's a season of joy and celebration for a lot of us. As we dream a little bit about the things that we've always wanted, right? Um, But it's also a season of despair. Loneliness, uh, maybe even depression, uh, heartache for some as we obsess over the things that we've always wanted but never got. You know what that's like every Christmas when you're a young kid and you're like, man, am I going to get that Red Rider BB gun or am I not? I remember growing up uh, in a broken family as a kid, uh, struggling with my feelings of joy, right? Contrasted with feelings of despair and loneliness. On the one hand, I look forward to Christmas. I look forward to seeing my extended family. But, but all the time, I was secretly uh, dreaming about getting things that I always wished that I had. I, I remember a, a, a deep feeling uh, of dread at times over the Christmas season, despair, depression. It would, it would overtake me as I thought about how deeply I would want our family to be whole and complete again. Whether you came from a broken family or not, I think we can all identify with what it's like to want something so bad that we're not getting, right? To live in that tension. I lived for years without experiencing the joy of getting what I wanted. Every year I hoped that my dad would come back or that maybe the guy that my mom was dating would finally become that guy, right? Um, it's never happened. Somewhere in the midst of coping uh, with all those unmet desires, I developed a habit of making the things that I wanted into things that I needed. And then in turn, I made the things that I needed into things that I did not want. You know what that's like? like we all deal with this. I think that we all make things that we desperately want into things that we desperately need. And then at that point, don't we find it far too easy to resist the things that we actually need because we're so focused on the things that we desperately want? But the question is, what do you really want right now? What did you walk in here this morning with feeling like, if I just had this, my life would be complete, the struggle would be over, What did you walk in here this morning feeling like, I want that so bad that I can taste it. 
I can't get it off my mind. What unresolved wants have you made into absolute needs? For some of us, it's wealth, right? For some of us, it's uh, our jobs, maybe a more stable job or a higher paying job. For some of us, it's a relationship that we've dreamed about our entire lives. For some of us, it's the dream of physical health. It's not that any of these things are necessarily bad either. I mean, that's the key root of idolatry anyways, is taking good things and making them bad things. Taking good things and making them ultimate needs, which then makes them bad things, right? I think the Christmas season has a tendency to awaken a lot of unresolved wants that we have in turn turned into needs. And it's hard, hard to know where to turn in those moments. Like, how do you shut that thing down? Where do you turn in those moments when you have unresolved wants that are brought to the front of your consciousness? I think that's where I'm praying that Jesus meets us today. John 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John begins his gospel by taking us back to the beginning. When we think of the beginning of the Christmas story, we often think of baby Jesus in a manger, right? It's not inappropriate to think that way. That's where all the other Gospels, for the most part, begin. Picture of Jesus in the manger. But John takes us back to the beginning with his words, in the beginning. Does that send any triggers off for you? In the beginning. Beginning. John's opening words here are a throwback to the very first words in the book of Genesis. Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. According to one scholar, one author who comments on this, he says that John wants to give us a theology of Christmas, not merely the story of Christmas. In other words, John wants to help us understand how the truth of Christmas intersects with the deeply held desires and wants and affections of humanity. John does this in these 13 verses. He shows us that Jesus is the divine word, and he is the light of the world who gives the right to become the children of God. What more could we really want? What more could we really actually need? If Jesus is the divine word, and if Jesus is the light of the world, and if Jesus is the one who gives us the right to become children of God, what more could you and I actually want? 
In the first three verses, John explains that Jesus is the divine word, right? He's the divine word who has existed since the beginning. He has sovereignly created and ruled over all created things. John says it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. <clears throat> Jesus is the divine word. This really is a profound statement. It may not seem like it at first, but it's a profound statement. In John's day, no different than our day today, there were teachers, experts, people with letters on certificates on a wall. They're spreading their message of false hope. In John's day, these teachers taught that Jesus was not God, but that he was merely a created being. They taught that Jesus was a created being who was a good man that did some good things that we should model our lives after. And we see this all over our social media feeds today. We see this on our uh, cable TV programs. We see this in our conversations at times. Um, we see this in some religions throughout the world as well. <clears throat> there is one religion out there that puts the article A into the interpretation of this word or this, this verse. You go back and you read it. Here's how they say it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. The problem with that interpretation is, number one, it doesn't belong to the text. And number two, it means that Jesus was a God, which means we're guilty of believing in multiple gods, not a triune Godhead of one. I just said a lot. Um, but that would be the issues with that. And don't miss this either. When someone teaches you that Jesus is not God, then the underlying lie that you and I could begin to believe is that Jesus, listen, is not good enough for you. That's what we ultimately begin to believe. When we don't see Jesus as God, we ultimately begin to believe that he is not good enough for us. He can't meet our needs. Therefore, we should look elsewhere to satisfy our deep cravings, our deep desires, our affections, our wants. If Jesus isn't God, then it's up to you to chase down the things that you want. If he's not God, then it's up to you to satisfy your desires because he cannot do it. If Jesus is not God, you are the one who holds the keys to your destiny because Jesus is incapable of satisfying you or ruling over you if he is not God. John confronts this false teaching with his words because he knows that Jesus is the divine word. He is God. He knows that Jesus was in the beginning. He knows that Jesus was with God the Father and God the Spirit. He knows that Jesus is God. He knows that everything that was created was created through Jesus by Jesus, who is the Word of God. Listen, when God the Father spoke His Word, He spoke all of creation into existence. When he did that, he spoke his word. Who is that? Jesus. He spoke his word, which is Christ, which created all things. And the power of his word was what? His spirit. So now you see Father, Son, Spirit, eternally connected together in community, triune Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. It is so hard to wrap our minds around that. This is the triune Godhead in action from the beginning. 
And when I think about the sufficiency of God, the sufficiency of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, think of this like a meal that I crave so deeply. There's some places when I go eat that I pay the money for the meal, and I get it, and I think, that meal is really insufficient for what I paid for it. Anybody else ever get that feeling? Some places in town you may not go back to because it's like, man, I can't pay that much money for that. It's not even, not even enough to satisfy the small part of my craving, right? Sometimes I treat the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that way. Like somehow they are not sufficient enough to satisfy my wants. And I think part of the reason that that happens is because I've taken my earthly wants and turned them into eternal needs. The relationships that I obsess over this side of heaven. They're a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean of my life-giving relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Drop in the bucket compared to an ocean. Why would I trade an ocean for a drop in the bucket? And think that somehow that drop in the bucket is going to satisfy me. Because we struggle with something called sin sickness, right? Well, security. Any of you guys like security? Want to, want to feel secure? Anybody want to feel accepted, right, by others or affirmed or loved? And the security and the acceptance that I deeply want to have from other people or maybe from my vocation. And that's a cheap substitute, It's a cheap substitute for the eternal security and the eternal acceptance that I can experience in relationship with my father and his son and his spirit. It's a cheap substitute. Why would I want cheap substitutes in place of the only thing that can satisfy my wants and my desires? So so, so the question then too, because if you're like me, you're, you're hearing this and you're thinking, crap, I've been there. Yesterday I was there. This morning I was there. I don't know. You might be thinking that way. Where do you go then? Where do you go when you've made your, your, your wants into needs? What, what is it that I actually need? What, what need have I been resisting? Tangible. Like it's easy to put a banner over it and just be like, well, you need Jesus, right? That's what I'm saying. And you all can walk out and go, thanks. thanks I need Jesus. Gotcha. How? How? What does that look like? I think the simplest application from this part of our passage today is simply the word of God. Simply the word of God. I think I told a joke a while back about putting a spoon in somebody's Bible, right? That was a good joke. I have to thank Will for that joke, I think, right? Yeah, okay. Um, The word of God. It's so low-hanging in this. Because Jesus is the divine word, right? Therefore, if I'm going to repent, and if you and I are both going to repent of making uh, earthly relationships more important than our relationship with God, or making our jobs, or, or making our, our pursuit of wealth, or, or whatever, whatever it may be on the surface that we've been chasing, if we're going to repent from that, then we need to get our faces in God's Word. I've got to get my face in God's Word. When my face has ink stains on it, when my nose is covered in the ink of God's Word, then what happens is my face comes face to face with Jesus. You can't seek Jesus anywhere else other than in his word and in prayer and through the presence of his spirit. So if you're not spending time in his word consistently, 
you know what you're going to do? You're going to chase other things that will make you sick. The word of God will give you life. Because in Christ, in the presence of Christ, is life. See, when I get into God's word and there's ink stains on my nose, I use that phrase as it's a Charles Spurgeon quote and I've loved it for years. When there's ink stains on my nose, it's in those moments that I begin to get satisfied. My soul stops churning. I stop chasing the things that I want. Why? Because in his word, I meet Christ. All of my wants begin to dissipate as the true needs of my soul are met in the presence of Christ. When I, when I begin to submerge myself in God's word, I meet Jesus, the divine word, and what he does is he jumps into the front seat of the automobile of my life, and everything else that I was pursuing, everything else that I wanted more than Jesus takes the back seat to the divine word. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Jesus is the divine word, the light of the world, the one who gives us the right to become children of God. What more could I really want? What else could I really need? In verses four through nine, we see that Jesus is the light of the world. John explains that Jesus is the light of the world. When God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, when they created the world, they created it, listen, they created it to be full of life, okay? When they created the world, God created it to be full of life. In the beginning, the world was the good life. We all think Nebraska is supposed to be the good life, but guess what? The world was the good life in the very beginning. Everything you could ever want, everything, anything you could ever want was right there in front of you. This is the story of Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, right? We know the story though, right? You know the story? Know where we're headed, right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve became impatient, didn't they? They became impatient. And, and, they, and what happens is they wind up losing all sense of self-control, right? This begins that they get impatient, they lose self-control as they begin to believe the lies of Satan, the serpent. They begin to believe that maybe God isn't good enough for them. Maybe I should eat that fruit. Maybe God is withholding something from me. Looks good. Seems like it's going to taste good. Why would God withhold that from me? I want it. Therefore, God, you, you get the back seat, right? This is what happens in the Garden of Eden. They develop a craving a hunger, a thirst for things that God had clearly instructed them to stay away from, and then those cravings, those desires, those wants become ultimate needs, and their true needs become what? Bad taste in their mouth. And then they gave in, and they fed their hunger. They became sick. Then they hungered for more of what made them sick in the first place. And they became even more sick. And they began to want more of what continued to make them sick. And then what they do? They hid from God. Right? They hid from God because they were ashamed. They tried to cover their sickness and their nakedness with leaves. They wanted to hide from God. They wanted to cover their own shame. And in so doing, they missed the point that what they really needed was not the things that they so desperately wanted, what they really needed 
was God to do this work of covering their shame, removing their guilt. Before long, what happens for Adam and Eve? The good life is no longer the good life. Now it's the rotten life, right? Now it's the rotten life. You uh, know the story? The good life was now the rotten life. The good life was now the rotten secret life of sin. The good life was now the rotten life of walking in the darkness. The good life was no longer a good life of testifying to God's goodness. It was now the rotten life of living in deceitfulness and shame and separation from God and all that was good. This is the story of the Garden of Eden. The good life of the Garden of Eden had been destroyed with one bite of what God said no to, and now Adam and Eve lived in the rotten life of their own creation. This is why John continues by saying, in him, Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, the Baptist, right? Who announced Jesus' coming. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus came to restore our broken lives, not give us what we want. Jesus came to shine the light of his presence into the darkest spaces of sin and hurt and shame in our hearts. He came to transform us into witnesses of his grace and his love. Jesus is the true light that burns brighter than any false light that I ever thought would light up my world. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to restore the good life to every rotten and broken life. I mean, as you sit here and listen, if you're hearing the voice of the Spirit, there has to be something happening inside of you where you go, yeah, I, I struggle with this. I trade what I actually need for the things that I wanted. Jesus came to restore that. That's the good news. He came to set you free from that prison. That's the good news. I think for some of us, it's too easy to think, man, that, that's Sunday school stuff. Like that, that happened when I was five or 15. No, no, that's an everyday thing. This is why Paul writes to the Galatians and says, why have you traded your first love? Why have you so easily laid the gospel down for a false gospel? I'm increasingly convicted in my own life about how I've taken the things that I want and turned them into things that I need while resisting and rejecting what I actually need in my intoxicated state of being. Don't, don't hear me wrong, this isn't about drunkenness. Although, for some of you listening, it could be about that. This is about the intoxicating feeling that we all get when we get closer to that thing that we've always wanted, that we have turned into an absolute need. Can you feel the excitement of that? You sense the excitement of getting closer to something you've always wanted, that you've turned into an ultimate need that you must have right now, and heaven forbid if anybody gets in between you and that. Right? You ever see a kid on Christmas morning? Parents like, you can't have that at the table. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> Whoo, boy. Mom and dad become 
your enemy real fast, right? <laughs> this is about being controlled by our wants to the extent that we resist and reject what we actually need. When I do this, may I trade the good life of following Christ for the rotten life of following my unsatisfied wants. I run headlong right off the cliff. I run headlong away from the light of Christ and I run right into the darkness of my wants. Ruins my witness. Leaves me in shackles. You got trapped by making your wants into absolute needs? Been resisting and rejecting the things that you actually need? Been to that place recently? Jesus is the true light of the world. Yes, we celebrate Christ's birth during this season, in this time of year. It's so much more than that. The Christmas story is amazing and miraculous. And really, the, the, the most amazing miraculous piece of the story is not so much the birth of Christ, although that's amazing and miraculous. Really, the most amazing miraculous piece of the Christmas story is the truth that Jesus is the true light of the world that gives true life to dead people. How do you make that practical, right? I think practical steps for you and I as you hear this, I think simply is to step into the light. Like if you resist stepping into the light, you're going to live in darkness. Step out of the darkness. Step out of your secret pursuit of satisfying the wants that you've made into ultimate needs. Step into true confession, Step into living a true good life that gives attention to Jesus. Step into witnessing or proclaiming the power of the Son of God in your life. Stop trading the presence of the light of the world for cheap substitutes. No one can make you do this. If you're hearing this, my job as a preacher is to preach to our hearts, right? If you feel like I've got my finger on you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Scripture says that, Jesus says this, says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they know my voice. And when they hear my voice, what do they do? They come running. So part of the power of preaching, the part of the power of God's word is that the master shepherd is wanting to speak to you, to your heart. I just get to be the funnel for that. That's a humbling, humiliating thing for me. The question is, do you hear your shepherd's voice this morning. Are you his sheep? So the job security that you may be uh, chasing down is a cheap substitute. That relationship that you've been chasing after is a cheap substitute. The isolation that you want uh, from your church family, that's a cheap substitute. Drug or that substance that you want That is a cheap substitute. The secret habits in your life that you don't want anybody to know about, that's a a cheap substitute. Jesus is the true light of the world who came to restore our broken lives by replacing the cheap substitutes with himself. Jesus is who we really need because he is the divine word. He is the light of the world. 
He is the only one who gives us the right to become children of God. What more could I really want? What more could I really need? On the final couple of verses here, we see that Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. When I think about my rights, I begin to think and behave like a little boy sometimes. Think about what rights you think you're entitled to. Okay? When I think I'm entitled to certain rights, I can oftentimes behave like a little boy. I begin to think that God owes me something. I begin to think that I deserve a better life than what God has given me right now. I begin to think that I am entitled to whatever I want. And I get frustrated with when the wants that I have that I've made into needs don't get met. I begin to think, feel, and behave just like that little boy that I talked about earlier throwing a temper tantrum on the floor at Christmas when he doesn't get the gifts that he's always wanted. See, when I do this, I miss the actual needs that are being met or that need to be met in Christ. I find it too easy to dismiss the truth that Jesus is the one who gives me my rights. My rights do not begin with me. My rights begin in Christ from the beginning because he created me. I actually think this is the catch or maybe the hook of the entire passage as we look at verses 10 to 13. It's far too easy to make our wants and the needs that we get deceived into believing that we have the right to satisfy. I have the right to satisfy this want because it's a need. John says, Jesus was in the world. Listen to this. This phrase blows my mind. Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. Jesus was in the world that he created. Huh. Yet the world did not know him. It's crazy. He came to his own. How about that? He came to his own. The people that he called his own, his own people, he came to them. Imagine like walking into a house that you built and your family's living in it and you walk in and they don't even know you. They don't even receive you. Nah, get out. They kick you out the door. Like that, that's, a, that's still a small drop as far as an illustration of what this had to have been like for Christ. It's in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God, which means that all of our rights begin and end with Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives us our rights. John's original hearers, when John writes this, the people that he's writing to had, had resisted and rejected Jesus, but, but, you would have thought that they were highly religious Christians. You would have thought that. So this speaks to us in a church family. If you're here and you call yourself Christian, this, this has to hit hard for us. It hits hard for me. They believed they were entitled to something more. They believed that God owed them something better than Jesus. Like Jesus plus something will satisfy me is what they thought. Even though Jesus was physically standing among them, doing miraculous things, man, they rejected him. 
They rejected the person that they needed because of what they wanted. Even though the creator of all things was present among his creation, his creation crucified him. They actually wanted to crucify him. In some crazy twist, they actually needed to. That's where our wants and our needs actually meet. If you think about that, what they wanted actually became the thing that they needed the most in some crazy sense. He needed to be crucified so that you and I could come to him with the wants that we've made into ultimate needs and be cleansed from that sickness. This is where Jesus meets us. He meets us right in the midst of making the things that we want into things that we need while making the things that we need into the things that we do not want. The cross of Christ is where all of our wants and all of our needs meet Jesus who is the divine word and the light of men who gives us the right to become children of God. The question is, do you know this Jesus? Not just the Christmas story about him as a baby in a manger. But do you know Jesus, the person who created you? Do you know Jesus, the divine word of God? Do you know Jesus, the the light of the world? Do you know Jesus, the one whom the world rejected and nailed to a cross? Do you know Jesus, the one who gives you the right to become a son or daughter of God? Have you made your wants into needs? Have you believed that your want for a relationship with someone is greater than your need for Jesus? Just look at the fruit of your life and you'll know. Look at the plant on top of the surface and you'll know. Have you believed that your want for job security is greater than your need for Jesus? Have you believed that your want for acceptance or power is greater than your need for Jesus? Have you rejected and decided that you don't want the person you really need? Because the truth that I'm proclaiming to you all morning is that Jesus is the divine word. He is the light of the world. He is the only one who gives the right to us to become children of God. What what more could I really want? What more could I really need? And in conclusion, I want to make this last point. The people that John is writing to really didn't know Jesus. They didn't receive Jesus. They looked like it in some regards except for this one glaring thing. They crucified him. They chased what they knew. They pursued what they wanted. They proved what they believed. They knew that the pursuit of power, success, acceptance, fame, fortune, pleasure, which one is it for you? Pursuit of power, success, acceptance, fame, fortune, power, pleasure. Feels good to chase those things. Feels good to want those things. And they wanted it so much, they believed they needed it. And therefore, they thought that they were entitled to it. And in the midst of chasing, whatever they believed would satisfy what they wanted, they ultimately rejected the person they really needed, and the person they really needed was Jesus. But again, the good news, over and over and over again, 
The job of preaching is to take you into the bad news and the good news and the bad news and the good news and the bad news and the good news, show you the darkness within your heart and show you the hope that you can have in Christ, right? The good news. For every one of us who has made our wants into ultimate demands while making our needs into unwanted waste, there's a nugget of the gospel here. John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In those words, in the powerful word of God, the spirit of God can create brand new hearts that want what we truly need. That's what God does. He's in the life-giving business. He's in the resurrection business because the tomb is empty, right? Which means that the tomb of sin, shame, guilt, Our failures of making our wants into needs, those tombs, those prison cells that we live in, the door is open. The stone's been rolled away. Our Messiah is alive and his offer is to give you a brand new life. That's the good news. Every week, that's the good news for us. That's what we look forward to. And that's what gets applied to our lives right here in this moment. The powerful word of God and the spirit of God creates brand new hearts that want what we truly need. You may have walked in here making your wants into needs, but in this moment, the spirit of God may be making your needs into wants. And if he's doing that, I think it gives us reason to praise him. Right? Only the spirit of God can take the wants that you turned into needs and reverse them and say, no, what you really need is now what you want. Because what you really need is Jesus. The divine word, the light of the world, and the one who gives you the right to become a child of God. The question is, do you want him? What more could you really want? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word this morning. Father, I pray that you would take it, use it by the power of your spirit to encourage, challenge, convict, and transform. As we come to you in worship and communion, but I pray that you would just come and be even more so powerfully present among us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.